Holy um, shit. So I know this is wild. Um, so this is the spooky succubus cast. Fucking. Um, you're your host, Abby and, and Rebecca. And Rebecca. That's me. Yeah. I'm not Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> They're never going to know the difference. No. Although I hit my S's really hard, which is why I think I have a really sophisticated voice for radio. You do. You're a uh, very Phoebe Judge-ish, you know? That's really kind. <laughs> kind words from a kind lady. Oh, man. So um, Rebecca and I are friends. We're close friends. We used yeah. to live together in the same city. And then she um, took off west mid-pandemic. Uh, it was time to go. It's, you know, not a good scene here in Boston. We're all on top of each other. So she, the husband, and the dog hit the open road. Uh, I miss her a lot, so we decided to come together over a shared love of horror movies and a shared hatred for capitalism and see what kind of Shit podcast happens. our mouths would make. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a fucking great one. That's the one it's going to make. It's going to be so, so fun. So we are, again, big horror movie fans. Horror movies are problematic faves. Um, I know as a former slut and sometimes inside still a current slut, you know, horror movies don't think highly of ladies, you know, or non-binary folks, people that identify however they identify that have vaginas. It's just not like a good thing to have a a vagina. I mean, yeah, as a as a brown woman, I I don't know that I've ever seen myself in a horror movie, even though I love them so much, maybe in like more current ones where they make. Uh, Latino, Latinx folks like into God fearing, Satan fearing stereotypes with like candles and yeah, the stereotype is like like a sage brown woman that speaks Spanish and has like wisdom to offer that the Mm -hmm. like white protagonist disregards. Yeah, Yeah. does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so <laughs> we are taking our problematic faves and we're reclaiming them um, through a feminist, anti-racist, anti-capitalist lens. We are seeing women, uh, non-binary folks, transgender folks, uh, people of color being excluded from the canon in a meaningful way. And we want to look at why and find a new way to look at our favorites. Yeah. And we're both like podcast fans. We like also have some problematic faves there. Um but yeah, I think there's like never enough discussion about art in general and like that art movies are art and that like we should be discussing them as such and like especially art that's mass consumed on this level. So, yeah. Yeah, and horror movies are so much in our subconsciousness and our collective consciousness, but we don't ever I personally don't ever really look at why they appeal to me or who is being excluded from the conversation and doesn't have a seat at the table um and maybe it's kind of foolhardy because like obviously it's not the most serious genre but it's an important genre and one of my favorites right and like a a long-standing one one that's been around since the inception of film so like that's been literally killing sluts for like a hundred years yeah sluts be bad (laughs) So we're starting with the movie Candyman from 1992, directed by Bernard Rose. Uh, We kind of figured out that we would start with this movie, like, in this flash of lightning, because 
over the summer, we got together, like, after we'd all been cooped up a few months in June, and randomly, we and our partners had watched this movie, like, the same weekend without communicating with each other, after, like, many, many years of not seeing it. And we talked about just, like, what a complex movie it is for a 1992 view of, like, race relations in America. So, yeah. I think it's an awesome place to start. Full disclosure, I'm a white woman. And I'm, I mean, also white if we're talking in terms of race, but I am a Latina, you know, so. We'll definitely Ethnic get some diversities, shit yeah. Yeah. We're going to get some shit wrong. We're going to have some takes that aren't correct. We want you to tell us if we mess up because, you know, we're all still trying to figure shit out together. I fuck up constantly. That's like one defining trait about me. So, you know. So... Who should do the plot overview? I'll do the You're plot on this it. one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we come in on Candyman. Grad students of the University of Illinois, Helen and Bernadette, are researching urban legends. Helen hears of the story of Candyman, a monster that will murder you if you say his name five times in a mirror. She first hears this story from a white woman who tells of the murder of a white female babysitter and the baby she was caring for. She then hears from two black women the story of a young black mother, Ruthie Jean, and her baby who were killed at Cabrini Green, a housing project. No one was apprehended for the crime, and the occupants believe Candyman is the murderer. Helen and Bernadette go to Cabrini Green to document Ruthie Jean's apartment. There they meet another young mother, Anne Marie. Later at dinner, with all white male colleagues, Helen and Bernadette learn of Candyman's alleged origins. He was the son of an enslaved man who amassed wealth by inventing a device to quickly produce shoes and grew up in a wealthy white society in the 1890s. He was a portrait painter and was commissioned to paint a wealthy landowner's daughter. Candyman and the daughter fell in love and she became pregnant. Her father paid local degenerates to mutilate Candyman. They cut off his hand and replaced it with a hook, covered him in honey to attract bees, and ultimately burned his body on a pyre. After hearing this, Helen goes back to Cabrini Green to interview Anne-Marie, but instead meets a young boy, Jake. He tells her of another boy's death at the hands of Candyman. He asked Jake, she asked Jake to show her the place where the boy died, a public restroom in Cabrini Green. While there, she's attacked by a local gang and its leader who calls himself Candyman. The gang leader is arrested and is set to be charged with Ruthie Jean's murder. After Helen recovers from the attack, she encounters the real Candyman. He seems to overtake her, and she wakes up in a pool of blood in Anne-Marie's apartment. The dog has been beheaded, and her baby is missing. Helen is arrested, but has not been charged since Antony, the baby, is still missing. While out on bail, Bernadette comes to visit Helen and is killed by Candyman. Helen is then arrested, hospitalized, and kept sedated for a month. Upon her first meeting with her psychiatrist, she summons Candyman for the second time. He kills the doctor, allowing Helen to escape. She returns home to find her husband with one of his young female students and realizes she has nothing left. She then goes to Cabrini Green to find Candyman and the baby. He promises he will spare the child if she sacrifices herself to him. He lies and instead hides the baby in a pyre at Cabrini Green that is waiting to be burned for a party. Helen goes to save the child and is seen by Jake, but is mistaken for Candyman because she is brandishing a hook. Jake and all of the occupants of the projects light the pyre, trapping 
Helen, Candyman, and the baby inside. Helen stabs Candyman with a burning stick and crawls out with the baby, who she returns safely to Anne-Marie. She dies, and at the funeral, Jake throws Candyman's hook in her grave. She returns to Trevor, her husband, as an apparition and gets him with the hook. Last frame as the credits roll is a painting on the walls of Cabrini Green depicting Helen as a saint and martyr. That first uh, mention of the hook really tickled your funny bone there. Well, because <laughs> it's just so crazy. Like, why is she? Why does she have a hook in that scene? Of all scene? the things she could have chosen, she went for a hook. Right. So I just was replaying the movie in my head. Anyway. It's what a, a wild movie. What yeah. a dense, wild movie. Yeah. Yeah. When we were writing the plot summary, it was like, oh, you really can't leave any of these very specific details out. Um <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of romping hooking. through Chicago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I thought it was so weird that Philip Glass does this music. It was so intense. It was a. I thought it was a pretty good score. I, liked I thought it, it was a pretty good score. It reminded me of when I was in college and I got really high and went to a crepery and some kind of like instrumental like Mannheim steamroller shit was playing in the <laughs> crepery and I was eating this crepe like this is the apex of my experience of as a human <laughs> like this is so serious yes it was very good music it so, self-actualization yeah. yeah um so this movie is either really racist or really anti-racist depending on i think the viewer's framework and i myself have not always been working actively towards anti-racism and so much of this movie like went right over my head when i was a younger viewer with less of an you know experienced eye towards inequity in america uh and it's just so incredible like i think Candyman is the anti-hero that i really want to see uh in horror movies he's super complex there's nothing one note right. and it was just it's just really fun to watch i think like i i've been watching horror movies since i don't know i was a very young toddler like there's i've always loved scary movies and i watched this when i was a child it came out the year after i was born so like i was very young and yeah i just don't think when I came to it again last year in my late 20s, like, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't remember any of this. Like, I just remember the, can like, saying Candyman five times and, and the bees. Like, those, that's, those were my takeaways. But. Well, I remember most from being a kid watching that movie is the wax on Helen's head at the end when she <laughs> has, like, died. That's so it weird. It is jarring amounts of, like, wax or prosthetics or whatever. It's very strange. Yeah, it's. The death did you ever... industry in America is wacky. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you ever do Candyman? Did you ever say it in a mirror? No. Should we do it now? I yeah, Candyman. Well, we're neither one of us are in a mirror. I'm looking at myself though. Does that count? I'm looking at myself in the Zoom. So I think. Are we counts. gonna have like a a viral scary movie situation where he's like, what if that happened? <laughs> what if we died here and Adam came home and just found like. Oh my gosh, that's actually too sad. Sorry, too sad. back it up. <laughs> <laughs> too real. Never mind. Back well, it up. Okay, ready? Candyman, 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 Candyman. Yeah. I think you kind of hesitated on the last one. Can well, because I was trying not to go faster than you, which I was. <laughs> but okay, I did Bloody Mary so for sure. But 
I definitely I did kid. Bloody Mary, yeah. but uh, maybe I didn't have the attention span to say it a full five times. Bloody Mary, five times you do a quick three. three. You clip right. it, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this movie definitely fetishizes black men. And uh, when we were going over the outline, I can't say fetishization very well. So um, don't at me. I don't know how to talk. Yeah. Um, uh, so we, the opening frames, we see a super deep, like, honey-coated voice, like, super hypersexual dialogue. The whole time, he's just really, like, sexualized, and his voice is penetrating. There's, like, this line between pleasure and pain that the viewer is kind of left to suss out, and it's this presence that sort of drives Helen over the edge, but also... I don't know. Like, I still com- don't completely sympathize with Helen as a character, even right. though she's can... like driven to the edge by this situation. Right. I mean, yeah, we can dissect. We'll dissect Helen first um, because she's so Virginia Madsen is billed first in this movie, and so I, she's our protagonist. I guess I don't. Uh, I guess I agree. I, she feels more like the victim to me and Candyman is our anti-hero that's how I come at this but and she is the perfect virginal victim because after you know the opening frames you see the sky kind of like swarm with bees and then we cut to this like softly lit warm image of our virginal Helen's perfect like blemishless face like soft blonde (laughs) hair so we immediately understand because of her whiteness because of her blondness because of her like angelic aura okay like we're supposed to sympathize with this person and that's like a universal experience that people have with horror movies you understand pretty much immediately how the white blonde woman is feels and is yeah yeah to be like you're the person worthy of your sympathy right we're also always like there's unlike what I think like maybe if this was made today like we wouldn't get a we don't get a flashback to Candyman's origins like we don't see him being murdered we don't see any like of his time in the 1890s we see his story while we're literally looking at Helen's face and into her eyes so like as if we are and it's told by a white man in academia He's the one who shares Candyman's origins with us. Disgusting. Purcell, biggest asshole in this movie. We'll get to Purcell, I guess. I don't know. They're both bad. We, you know what? Purcell's had enough airtime. So we also (laughs) note that um, women of color are only present in this plot to move Helen's character development and arc forward. Uh, We see in the very beginning, essentially, um, the cleaning women at the University of Illinois are present to fill in gaps in Helen's research, presumably without any compensation, presumably while still being marginalized by Helen as a member of white academia when they're cleaning in the school where she uh, works. And then Anne-Marie and her baby, Bernadette, these are all character devices, plot devices to make Helen a more complete person in our eyes. Right. And it's, like, the the woman of color that we get closest to, Bernadette, that, like, we see multiple times, she's light-skinned, and all the other, every other black character, actor in this movie is dark, including our, what the movie wants us to see as our villain, which is Candyman. Tony Todd right. is a dark-skinned man, so... And Bernadette's proximity to both blackness and whiteness feels 
super intentional and yeah. then especially props up Helen's self-martyrdom as someone who is unafraid to go into these presumably dangerous spaces and when we see Bernadette resistant to go to Cabrini Green we don't perceive it as racism we perceive it as fear because Bernadette still has proximity to blackness and then Helen gets to seem like the hero right because because Bernadette has all these lines like this is like a woman was killed we shouldn't go here when they first go to Cabrini Green the first time she thinks they're like she's like we're dressed like cops they're never gonna let us in because Helen wanted them to dress conservatively and so she like she's she understands these places but we're also punishing her for being afraid of the blackness because she's later killed and is like sidelined the entire time right and helen controls the narrative of their first visit there and then when things don't turn out or turn out the way bernadette anticipated like they think we're 5-0 we have to be like you know leave no trace and get the fuck out of here helen still just pushes forward without any concern for bernadette's apprehensions or her knowledge or experience of being a black woman she's also like I'm white. What's what? What bad could ever what happen to happen? me? What? what can happen? Yeah, but I will say Helen Bernadette. Everyone gets credits for the '90s fashion. I just Ooh. like want to live in some tweed this fall. Those wool coats, man, they're getting me. I know big yeah. earrings. Yeah, those. Did hats. you also notice how like they? gave us so many aerial shots of the sort of coliseum at the university yeah there was a lot of like establishing shots but more than just once like we come in to chicago like over the highways and then yeah you're always above except for at cabrini green which is strange like you never see it from up high i mean and then it's like are they establishing shots or are they trying to accomplish something different that I'm too stupid to understand? <laughs> so, right. I don't know. Let's ask Bernard Rose. Like, what were Bernard? These? Who is your cinematographer? I didn't look that up. I know. But. We're not like, we're not the most well researched today, but we've got a lot of heart, you know? Listen, we're in it. This is our first pancake. Um, the first yeah. pancake comes out a little weird. It's true. Right. But yeah, yeah, so so back to uh, talking about how their first visit to Cabrini Green and how uh, the dichotomy of like their outfits, their dress and sort of like the just an overall environment at Cabrini Green that they're walking into. We see, you know, this very sharp divide and we understand like what the director is setting up for us and then of course we meet Anne Marie who says whites don't ever come here except to cause us problems and Helen who has like busted into this space she has no ownership of because her stupid research that like is going to go into a <laughs> dissertation that no one's ever going to read is right. more important than the safety and security of a black community that takes care of each other right and she's like so, yeah, Anne-Marie says, who they, you know, the woman that they encounter with the baby who later goes missing, she she says this, whites don't ever come here except to call, cause problems, which is fucking what happens. Like, all that Helen does is cause her fucking grief. And, yeah, so, I don't yeah. know. And that's, like, probably part of the reason we wanted to do this 
movie is because we are, of course, living in uh, one of the greatest social revolutions in history. And we're seeing how the lethal impact of law enforcement is still sustaining to this day. It's 2020. So it's just like kind of a depressing and illuminating look at how little has really changed as far as race relations in this country for the past 30 years in almost yeah i mean longer than that and this movie came out months after the rodney king riots quote-unquote riots but i yeah i like just there's some small throwaway lines like um when when helen is later attacked in cabrini green someone is immediately arrested opposed to like two people died and no one did anything yeah so like and she's and she makes a comment on that like you know nothing happened when two people died before what what changed now and then yeah like Bernadette's comment that they look like cops and that you know they're not safe there because they look like cops is like no don't trust the police and Helen also doesn't take anything this community is experiencing seriously she doesn't have respect for their experiences she doesn't have respect for their kind of like real or imagined folklore that they use to survive and like thrive as a community so when Bernadette is of course scared to go to Cabrini Green the first time Helen is dismissive and says that an entire community is attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. So she, as a white woman with privilege, deduces Candyman to a mythical figure. But I think also she's saying, you know, that what is happening in this community is the fault of the community and not the fault of white supremacist America. She doesn't see outside of herself. And also... You know, when you step back from this movie, her research is pretty stupid and no one really needs it. I mean, I like urban legends, I, sure. Do I think that, like, I don't think I want to read have a had dissertation? To die in service of Helen's dissertation. Right. She's, she's like, so about getting this research done. Like, she, like, gets, she's in the hospital and she comes out and that's, like, the first thing. She, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Everybody chill. It's just a, your dumb research paper. Yeah. That, I like, did like seeing the slide projector, though. I love a good slide projector. My parents used to show vacation photos from like the eighties in the living room. We didn't on the have wall one. With a projector like that. We were um sorry. Poor Guess your precious <laughs> memories are buried now. Oh yeah, they're gone. I don't nothing was on we didn't have Google. you kept that one negative maybe and yeah then, but it's lost but then it was sort of like whoever takes the negative from the negative stage to like anything else you know like I you have know the negative just in case but like what do you ever <laughs> even do with it my mom kept them all in like a ziploc bag that has since gone missing but like what were we ever gonna do with that ziploc bag nothing i guess we'll never know <laughs> we'll never know <laughs> except for look yes. at those scary brown reflective yeah, images like- in the light Exactly. Like, oh, I kind of remember that. Yeah, so Helen's white privilege precludes her from imagining a reality in which people experience oppression on a day-to-day basis, whether it is from Candyman or just systematic inequities put in place by white America. She's reductive. She can't see everything occurring in Cabrini Green as a symptom of a system of violence. She only sees it as something that is happening Essentially because the people of Cabrini Green are unable to 
kind of bootstrap themselves out of this situation. Right. Including, like, the original act of violence there, which was the lynching of Candyman. Yeah. I mean, I... We're all contributing to the systems of violence that are affecting the most vulnerable amongst us. So, And she definitely doesn't see that. But that's, like, something that we're coming to with with 2020 eyes, right? But For sure. But... Yeah, Helen kind of sucks. She, she was definitely okay. does suck. I don't know. <laughs> Helen's complicated. She's that's, complex. I, that's like they had to make us like Helen by making Purcell and Trevor like the biggest dicks in the world. God, such a douchebag. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> we talk about her, Helen's own marginalization because white women have it super hard. As well, well, yeah, it's really challenging. Uh, so you see her be marginalized by like asshole academic dudes in her life. And then instead of doing anything productive with those feelings, she turns around and marginalizes Jake. She marginalizes Anne-Marie and Bernadette. She basically kind of like creates just this like shitty food chain where right. she pushes on the people underneath her. Especially where she's projecting. Yeah. Especially Bernadette, I would say. Bernadette is truly the tragic character in this tale. She had, you know, a great not dissertation about Candyman in front of her. She had, like, a life to live. We know nothing about Bernadette's inner life or her personhood. We only know that she's set up as the black best friend to Helen who (sighs) helps her um, move her own ambitions forward. We have no understanding. Like... They're working on this together, but is this Bernadette's thesis or I dissertation? Don't think so. Helen has the ownership over this project, right? Yeah. When we first see them, like before we uh, like get Candyman's backstory, Bernadette is interviewing someone else about a totally different urban legend. So I think like Candyman is entirely Helen's project, and Bernadette is just being a good friend and research partner. Like, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, assistant, right? Like, yeah, she's not. I, she's not going to get co co authorship on this research paper. No. Yeah, I I liked Bernadette, and I think like when I when I saw this movie, like before when we first watched it again for this like second time in my adulthood, I was I think I just get excited when black actors get roles, and I was like, yeah, like finally they get paid you know like it's not yeah but i don't know i think we just have to like think about their characterization more well it's kind of the same reason we have kamala harris right like the (laughs) identity should we not do that no i don't care i mean she's well it's like the you know she's a top cop she is a capital k cop guys (laughs) she you know we conflate white liberal identity politics with actual like productive change so we see that you know with Bernadette one black actress gets a role where she has to kind of like play a part of the system of violence and be marginalized but in the same way we have Kamala Harris so it must be a huge step forward except that she is not progressive she's a cop and like she's still a conservative democrat but it's still like oh progress oh yeah yeah. oh good job is it 2008 again I am confused oh my gosh um I mean yeah so like I'm very glad that oh shit what's her name Casey Lemon I think She's a director now, right? Yeah, she's a director. I'm glad that she got a role. I'm glad that Tony Todd got a role. 
that like has stuck with him and like that I it seems like he really enjoyed but like maybe let's redo these characters <laughs> I don't know yeah and but Jordan everyone, Peele please, please pay black women for their labor um yeah. Helen please pay those two cleaning ladies for giving you pivotal information to succeed in Literally. your dissertation you couldn't have done shit without them right for putting nobody owes any like women of color do not owe white people anything we don't need to be making them do emotional labor for us fuck right. you helen <laughs> i agree fuck you helen but i mean also fuck you trevor and purcell or whatever yeah so like but that's the thing i think trevor is such an openly huge asshole that he kind of lets helen get away with being the sleeper asshole the whole time yeah we are distracted by the white male misogyny so we don't see with a sophisticated lens how helen is you know the oppressor in almost every other situation in the movie in every scene in the movie helen is our oppressor unless trevor is in the frame Right. Or, yeah, or other white guys. And I really we're not, like... We're not mentioning the P word anymore. No more Ps. But there's, like, in modern horror movie making, you know, you set up these assholes so that they can have, like, a fun death later on that we are all, like, cheering on. I was really waiting for for these other white guys to get their due, you know, to get some... I mean, Trevor's death was just kind of, like, eh. sad to watch. The best part of that scene was... Stacy's nipple shirt. Um, Stacy's nipple shirt was so good. But we'll get to it. Uh, I mean, yeah. Should we talk about Candyman? Yeah, I'm done with Helen. Yeah. Goodbye, Helen. It's fine. She's complex, I guess. Still, as much of an asshole as she is, I don't think she deserved to have the mortician do her dirty like that. I'm just with that that. wax wax hair. With that wax flower crown. (laughs) It was so. So it was so bad. That would be a good Halloween costume if you had a lot of time and you right. were cool with no one understanding your costume. Yeah, very After obscure. After you spent like eight hours on it. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. So Candyman is so. Let's uh. Let's get into Nina. Hook Talk with Abby and Rebecca. Oh, hook, this hook is Talk. Hook Talk. <laughs> um. Is it so, a phallic symbol? Yes. Is it what a dangerous isn't phallus? A phallic symbol? That's true everything yes but he of course like because he's fetishized and sexualized the only motivation for his actions can be sexual and penetrative uh because he has been reduced to kind of this figure that whose you know primal urges destroyed him and now it's the only thing that drives him in his vindictive sort of afterlife we know that he was murdered for a sexual act with a white woman and so now he's just going to go through his life penetrating pretty much anyone he feels like. There isn't a lot of understanding of the penetrative motivation for me. Uh, I right. know that we've t- talked about this a little bit before, but why isn't he fucking murdering white people? Like, white so, people did this. Uh, yeah, I would. I feel like I would. I'm really on board with Candyman killing white people. That would make me happy. The only... <laughs> which sounds bad the only white person that dies because at the end helen is Candyman and she kills trevor but the only white person that we see Candyman kill is the psychiatrist the psychiatrist and, and he dies so that helen can escape the hospital and that's the only motivation so like and then he, every other known victim is a black, is black woman person or a black a child woman. yeah 
Oh, well, except for the babysitter, but the babysitter is irrelevant. It's simply And does set it up. really happen? I don't know. I feel like that's fake. So we know that Candyman is after the completion of his family. He has experienced proximity to whiteness, and that is what ultimately destroys him. So maybe this is the reason he terrorizes people of color at Cabrini Green. Maybe he's resentful of his blackness. Um, But he does work primarily in service of white people in his actual life and his afterlife. So he continues to you know try to experience proximity to whiteness by kind of overcoming helen and putting his proverbial family back together which is is also use of proverbial i don't know you're asking i think so proverbial family don't have us ooze i don't know um yeah i think like he so because he grew up wealthy he was like experiencing this proximity to whiteness but when he took that next step of trying to be with a white woman and have a mixed race baby, that was one step too far. It was like, yeah, yeah now you gotta. You die. can be near us and you can be in service of us, but right. you can't be with us or one of us. Right, and so you, we gotta mutilate you and kill you. Yeah, so I think we said this at the top of the show, the top of the hour, but Candyman (laughs) is extremely complex. I love and root for Candyman. He is an anti-hero. He rejects society. He rejects the society that destroyed and lynched him. Right. But it is difficult to reconcile that he his aggression and we know he can go anywhere. He's not confined to Cabrini Green. We see that he can go he's to the flying out windows office. and shit. We see that he yeah, he's flying out windows. He's in parking garages. He's like <laughs> getting his fur coat dry cleaned. Like he is getting shit done. He's taking a nap. He takes a nap and what he's I like love that he naps. I feel like we that all makes we're him all relatable. tired. I'm tired. Yeah. I also like I, I know that we're fetishizing too, him. I know. Your bones um, hurt after you're like 23. I get it. He's still like, I still find him very attractive. I'm still like on that ship. I'm like, Candyman is sexy. You're, you're really hot. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. He has really nice houndstooth pants. I understand that we're sexualizing and fetishizing him. But Tony Todd, you still look good. And I'm right. ready for you to be Candyman 2020 if that's. He your looked good ambition. in. Night of the Living Dead, too. So. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was like yeah, a couple so years before this. We do know that he can go anywhere. We know he can kill anyone. He's pretty much omnipresent, seems to be able to like manifest wherever he is because we know in the psychiatrist's office, Helen called him, but she didn't call him when she's in her apartment with Bernadette. He seems to be able to independently move throughout the city so why doesn't he kill some white men that own land instead of killing ruthie jean and Anne marie and the little boy in the toilets i mean i think it would it would make more sense if he was after the descendants of the people who killed him you know like if this is the lore that we're like going with is like okay so what happened to his first love like where'd she go did she have that baby did they also kill that baby like where is it her descendant is that what we're led to believe i don't know is she just any white lady who kind of looks like her in which case he would be trying to fuck like his great great granddaughter or some shit right Uh uh-huh yeah so maybe no (laughs) 
<laughs> That's, but yeah. also, don't you think what is so, like, delightfully disorienting about this movie is that the lore is just, like, so tenuous? Yeah, like, that it's, it has, like... It has some grounding, but also it's, like, oh, I don't need to be, like, constrained to the norms of, like, I want vengeance on the descendants or whatever. He's just... He seems to just have a desire to kill. Yeah, he's just, like, loving, loving that killer life. I don't... I mean... Which is, I'm also on board with that, I guess. I just wish it wasn't, I wish that the film wasn't telling us that black women are expendable and that, like, the only people who, like, are, we're fine with being dead are black women. Yes, totally agree. Black women and children and the most vulnerable of the most vulnerable. Right. So his victims are traditionally vulnerable and underserved populations and his killings don't seem motivated by malice or vindictiveness or rage outside of just keeping his hive under control so yeah and he talks about like he had to kill because people started to doubt him and that's why he started which is helen's fucking fault yeah it's why he went after helen is like she started to doubt him so he's got a murder yeah helen is a well-meaning white woman who has disrupted the balance achieved in cabrini green and she's causing havoc for Candyman's reputation, which in turn causes havoc for residents of Cabrini Green that are living in a generally successful mutual aid, um, you know, situation where they're taking care of each other and they are alive and fine. Right. And Helen comes in because she has a story to tell that's more important than the lives of black women and children. And yeah. then a lot of people fucking die because of her. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, should we start talking about Cabrini Green? Do you want to say anything about Candyman? Oh, his, well, oh, I the hive metaphor. Thing, right. Yeah. And then we do have to say, we are not smart enough to understand why Candyman is really into bathtubs. So if bathtubs, you have that information. toilets. Yeah. If you have the plumbing knowledge that corresponds with this, movie i would really love to know uh from probably like our five listeners at this point who are all people that i've already talked to about this uh, right who are both of our sisters and (laughs) (laughs) like one nice colleague that was like yeah listen to it yeah our our domestic partners um that's it actually i don't think my domestic partner will be listening because he'll probably be sick of it by the time he finishes editing right. it. Shout He's our out producer. To you, Adam. Thank you for Ooh. producing our dreams. So yeah, <laughs> we know that a tub is a significant because theoretically a mirror can be anywhere, but we see that tubs, toilets, plumbing are significant markers of something in this film, but we are not understanding what. I personally am not. Have you I, had a revelation? I haven't had a revelation. I like is it about discarding things? Is it about cleansing? Is it about, I'm not, I, maybe? I don't, I don't know that it's like that important, but still, it's a little troublesome, but. Well, let's talk about Cabrini Green. I <laughs> think Cabrini Green is a model of what society can look like with mutual aid and community protections without policing and it's a really interesting thing to be able to talk about at this historical moment when we are in huge favor at this podcast of abolishing ICE, abolishing the police and protecting our community members uh, mutually without charity or white saviorship. So I think it's really cool to see 
um, a model of this, you know, from 1992, it's sustainable and it can work. So Cabrini Green, they protect each other. Obviously, they fear cops. Uh, the gang members at the beginning, when Helen and Bernadette first arrive, I think are kind of fascinating because to an untrained sort of white gaze, it would be like, oh, they're so, like, rude. They're in their faces. Like, right. you know, they're – but they are not really – doing anything besides being like why are you invading our space what are right. your intentions they follow them for like one one little hallway and it's really yeah they don't touch them they don't insult them they're really set they're the movie setting them up to be like the bad guys like oh we're in a black neighborhood these are the gang members and they're bad and yeah and it's like the more you look at something like this the more you realize everything in capitalist society is a good bad binary because if you don't have the bad then you don't know what to like sort of strive for as the good so we're understanding these black men as bad because they're getting in the faces of these nice white and white adjacent women right Mm -hmm. so helen is the victim immediately even though she has just invaded a space that she is not welcome in has nothing to offer to and is basically just claiming ownership over so we see them set up in the bad binary but when you really take a close look at it it's like they're just protecting their home and their space they don't follow them no violence is enacted whatsoever they don't even say anything like they do a little like oh baby but like par for the course you know i mean yeah it's not like ideal but it's also not like they're just like what the fuck are you doing here like why did you just come to our home like are you here to interrogate someone or like and then later on also helen is so defensive and i was like you're in their space why don't you fucking tell them what they're doing you're doing in their space right you know maybe they have something to offer to your story they're not just bad guys right because they're more than it's a group of black men so we must be scared. I don't. And then, yeah, later on when Helen goes to inspect this bathroom, she is taking, like, when you really think about it, she's going into a space where a young child, a child that they probably knew, died and is going in there to take pictures and, like, fucking puts around in there. Like, get out. And yeah. they really just, like, knock her around a little bit. They don't kill her. They don't, you know, they don't, there's no sexual violence. I'm just like, get the fuck out of here, lady. Yeah, the movie coats the Candyman impersonator, the man that's wearing the jacket and using the hook. The movie coats that man as bad because he knocks Helen out. And then he is framed for the murder of Ruthie Jean and the murder of the boy in the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. So... The black cop is like, oh, you got this bad guy off the streets. But as the movie progresses, we understand that really all he was guilty of was hitting Helen with a hook. And that was just in pursuit of protection of his environment and his home. And uh, protecting kind of the child that died in there as well as the rest of the community from her white gaze. So he is now in prison, wrongfully imprisoned. Because how are we going to prove that a mythical creature murdered these two people? So Helen got um, an innocent black man put into prison. So don't forget, fuck Helen. Fuck Helen. Um, We can also talk about Jake, our our little angel of I love Jake. I love his hat. Um, 
I love that he has no permanent space, but he's a well-cared-for, clothed, well-fed child. I love that he and Anne-Marie have that kind of, like, special bond, but it's not explicitly stated. Like, they don't have to explicitly state Anne-Marie is the mother, Jake is the child. They can just understand from looking at it, like, yeah, Jake is around and he gets fed because he's a person, and every person should have some place to sleep, food in their belly, and clothes on their back. Right. And they and that like when Helen comes to Cabrini Green alone without Bernadette, she goes to Anne Marie's house and doesn't find Anne Marie, but finds Jake waiting outside. So like we're you know he why would he be outside of her apartment when she's not there except for that he's waiting for her to like maybe watch TV or have a snack or you know play with and the baby. Yeah. yeah, we don't see Jake's parents that. Or biologically his parents but mm-hmm. we see that a different model of parenting and caretaking can exist within a society that cares for itself without governmental assistance because governments fail marginalized groups time after yep. time and she's so condescending to him like when he's afraid of Candyman, a thing that he knows to be real and she's like nah you're wrong and you're dumb and he's not real and the bad man's locked up and oh that's... when they're at the police station yeah jake still has to go back to cabrini green where Candyman exists as a real entity that is threatening the safety of the community helen has now successfully taken a black man off the streets and she can feel comfortable in her apartment with her white saviorship while people still have to exist in the space that she created as a dangerous and menacing situation yeah poor jake poor jake poor bernadette I don't know. At I, least Anthony survives. Anthony survives. And he... Candyman took great care of Anthony, I will say. Yeah. He fed him honey from his fingertip. Interesting choice of nourishment. Um, and he, like, gave him a little bed of cloth while he was also taking a nap, you know? I think... I don't know. Fuck Helen, I guess. I think the moral of the story is definitely fuck Helen. But yeah, <laughs> um, Helen then, after she creates this huge hullabaloo, huge disaster, ruins lives, she then gets to experience being a martyr and a white savior for the destruction of Candyman and saving the baby. So essentially she came in, created a problem, then solved the problem, and then becomes a martyr, which is not unlike... I don't know what's a good metaphor. The United States and every Latin American country. <gasps> Ooh, oh, what? <laughs> Overthrowing democracy for dictatorship and then denying the citizens who are affected by that tyranny access into the country that caused those problems. <laughs> While still utilizing <laughs> the natural resources? Oh, my gosh. And using well, the people who do make it for labor? It's fine. I'm fine. Helen, you're trash. So, yes, Bernadette understands they shouldn't look like cops when they go to Cabrini Green. She's punished by Candyman for interfering. Helen is exalted for the same behavior, which is busting into a community where she doesn't live or understand things and then uh, just fucking everything up. And then at the end of the day, saving a baby that she put into danger. So she gets to become a white savior. We are taught by this movie that black women are expendable and they're pretty much primarily used as plot devices. And Anne-Marie's absolute sorrow, grief, is essentially 
capitalized on by Helen and by the directors of this movie because at the end of the day we see Helen get to fix a problem she created and Mm -hmm. pull Anne-Marie out of the mire of this pain. Right. Ah, Poor Anne-Marie. But she has her baby back. Her dog is dead. Dog is decapitated. I felt bad for the dog, yeah. I did also feel bad for the dog. The dog which was is... also coated bad. Isn't that funny? Right? And it's the dog like is black. Dog it's a black dog. The dog is black. It's a Rottweiler. Um, it's coated as a bad dog because it's it big, it's loud, it's barking, but it's like also it's just protecting Anne-Marie's family. It didn't right. do anything bad except for be a big black dog. And I, there's like something to say of like women being on their own in this movie is not... Like, no one, no woman alone is safe. Like, Bernadette and Helen try to go into Cabrini Green. They're not safe. Helen goes alone. She's not safe. Anne-Marie doesn't have a man in her life. She's not safe. Like, it's only the only woman who isn't safe and still has, like, is Trevor and our our beautiful slut, Stacy. I feel bad for Stacy. She Stacy is like the Monica Lewinsky of this movie. Yeah, she didn't do anything wrong. She, she didn't just, fucking do anything wrong. She was preyed upon by a gross older man. Yeah. She believed what the gross older man in a position of power told her. He also has jurisdiction over her academic future. So she got mixed up in something kind of fucked up. And then she's just trying to make the man a stake. And he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have like contributed to the complete unhinging and death of my first wife. Right. Because Oops. to him, she just went, she just, like, had a mental health breakdown. Like, that's what he sees it as. And so... Which apparently is enough of a reason to dismiss someone in your life. Yeah. I mean, he was dismissing her already because... Trevor uh, is... She was old news, so... And then Trevor's Trevor horrible. infantilizes Stacy. He baby talks her. She is painting the apartment this, like... Pink. Pink that Millennial is Millennial pink. Oh, I was going to say Pepto-Bismol pink. Um, I kind of liked it. I liked I would, the redo. I, I mean, I would do a couple of walls or one room, not like... One, one accent pink an wall. An accent wall. It was like every single surface. But remember like the 90s, that was that was the color. Like we had lampshades and like pillows, that color of that like mm-hmm. Pepto-Bismol like mute Also pink. like aqua aqua yeah. and like yeah like lots of beach. toothbrush holders yeah <laughs> yeah seashell sure. decor so Ugh. then stacy of course finds trevor's body at the end um while she's ineffectively holding a steak knife or a butcher knife the way Chef's she's holding knife. that knife is i was like get wild. A hold of that knife yeah <laughs> why are you holding the blade and not the handle that was like that's the one thing i was like stacy get get your shit together I, I know like, you're pissed. You are obviously going through something, but like <laughs> right now you have to snap into action. Like this motherfucker just ruined your life. You've got to get out of this apartment. Yeah. I hope Stacy didn't get framed for murdering him. But I feel like ugh. maybe she did. Like that's like Helen was framed for the murders of people she didn't murder or kidnap. And so I think that where Stacy would be blamed. And I think that's what the whole her setting her up as a slut is like, okay, we're fine with it cuz she's slutty. So. Yeah. This Sluts is the patriarchy baby. If you're not ser- working in service of a man, you have to be expendable and you have to be destroyed. 
And uh, instead of being like, whoa, Trevor fucking sucks. Stacy, get out of here and go get a really solid alibi so I can murder this motherfucker. Right. Helen is like, well, you fucked me, so I'm going to fuck you over, which isn't an accurate depiction of what happened. Trevor is predatory and he conned them both and manipulated them both. Yeah. Fuck Trevor. <sighs> well, definitely fuck Helen, fuck Trevor. Um, this is a movie that I really love that is unfortunately written and directed by a white man. They made pretty deliberate casting choices mm-hmm. to appear um, neutral or absolve themselves uh, in cases of pretty overt racism. Like, this is a really different movie if Bernadette is white and they basically just used Bernadette to make themselves not look like assholes. It's the uh, same thing with the the casting of the black cop. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think this movie can definitely be perceived as racist. It can definitely be perceived as reductive. But I see a lot of really valuable anti-racist, anti-capitalist, anti-cop through lines that I totally stand as a 2020 viewer of this movie. Right. I, yeah, I like, I think I like it less than I did at first, but I still really like it. And I still like really I really I think Candyman is an interesting villain and he's very complex and Tony Todd did an incredible job playing him and yeah I think like I want to see what Jordan Peele does with it yeah I'm super excited good yeah um but I I like no I hope we get to see Candyman really just murder some white men that's what I I would love I'm really in for yeah uh I Bernard Rose um I mean, I don't have a lot of, like, interviews, like, with him, um, but some of the things that I... He used to work with Jim Henson on The Muppet Show. What an interesting... What did he do? Did he I don't make know. Muppets? I think he, he might have, like, like, directed him... some. Oh. Um, but he... Yeah, so he based... So Candyman is based off of Clive Barker's... One of his short stories, The yes. Forbidden, from... Books of Blood, which I haven't written, but I kind of want to, or read, written, uh, read, but I kind of want to. Um, yeah, it's like I feel like in starting out this pod, there's so much horror literature that I want to read, mm-hmm. but I also just don't want to sink every minute of my life into fucking reading things written by white dudes. Yeah, and it's I really want to like see more varied perspectives. But there are just so many good horror stories, like novels that were kind of like written at a time before women really had access to this kind of space these spaces yeah yeah i mean do they even really now i don't know no but she yeah so he so bernard rose took this story that was set in liverpool in england and he picked chicago at random and then asked uh the illinois film commission what's the worst housing project in Chicago? And they said Cabrini Green. And so that's how we got here. And that they is insane. Sh- right? And they shot on location for a week at Cabrini Green. Um, and they... I couldn't find this again in this interview from Bernard Rose's own words, but um, they some of the background ex- extras are gang members from Cabrini Green that they had to put into production like for protection allegedly and that the one of the production vans was shot at on the last day of filming like a bullet went through the back window but no one was was injured so i think that's 
pretty cool that those, I it was pretty cool those community members were like you want to be here pay us like, right I mean because you. essentially they're doing the same thing that Helen is doing is like coming right. into the space and like hey I'm gonna tell your story that is you like cool with that meta. yeah <laughs> yeah um we'll be here for a week don't shoot us um but like, yeah so give us money and he said of this he said that the uh they wouldn't let them go through like the production crew wouldn't they wouldn't let them into Cabrini Green without a police escort but from Bernard Rose's perspective it was mostly just people trying to live their lives which I'm like okay Bernard Rose that's a fair okay yeah, I don't... say it a little louder now so. right say it with your chest although um, I feel like uh, maybe Bernard Rose's opinion on the situation in Cabrini Green now 30 years later maybe people won't be clambering to listen to unfortunately to his perspective (laughs) um but Tony Todd is he like actively came to the role with like slavery in mind and like that Mm -hmm. every he he's a blues singer and he was talking about how every blues singer comes to to like their story and their sorrow from that origin and like I think we as an American society are all we all have to deal with that and should still be dealing with it like reparations has never happened it's only we've only committed more atrocities since so yes everyone find an Instagram account in your city um, where people are organizing getting reparations directly into the hands of black people in our country um, you can literally Venmo someone $20. It shouldn't feel comfortable. It shouldn't feel financially easy, but you owe people of color on this land reparations. We live on stolen land built on the backs of uh, slave labor, and white people get uncomfortable. Sorry. Right. Capitalism. Ugh. Gross. Yes. And, um, whoa, are we done? Do I do don't it? know. I guess so. Oh, Tony Todd was paid $1,000 for each bee sting, and he's stung 23 times. That's a like negotiation. Not that's not enough. But it <laughs> yeah. is not a negotiation that Vir- Virginia Madsen made. So, I mean, good for Tony Todd. Yeah. Shit. I can't believe he really got stung. The only thing in his mouth was a dental dam when all those bees were That was it. There was no... It's wild. That is insane. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, and um, Jordan Peele, we humbly ask you to, number one, give Candyman some more screen time. Number two, please kill a lot of white people in this movie. We are excited. Right. We are ready. Uh, we know this will reach your ears because we are very successful podcasters. So successful. <laughs> <laughs> Manifesting it. We have 20 20- what it's like i think we have 20 instagram 20 instagram followers and like two of them are people i don't know wow um i mean yeah i like this is going to be a political podcast we are both i mean i don't everything is political fucking get over it there's no i'm sorry our whole lives um, if you love jim crow joe and you want to prop up the fascist state we live in and you don't like socialism, this might not be the pod for you. Don't Maybe listen. consider why you think housing justice for everyone, healthcare for everyone, and just enough money to live on for every person that lives in this country is a problem. Um, and, you know, maybe just reflect a little bit on what capitalism right. has ever done for you. I mean, it's also like, as 
two white ladies, we have to, like, I'm going to talk about how fucked up everything is. And that's part of the burden that I am going to bear. I'm going to, I've already, I've already gotten rid of a bunch of friends. So whatever. It's cool. We should add that um, Rebecca has recently moved to a very red state and is readjusting to life outside of the Boston white liberal neoliberal bubble. Right. I mean, here were uh, here are um, our you know white liberal sort of like Joe Biden Democrats are a little more subtle about their uh, overt racism and love for cops, but it seems like they're really out there in Arizona. I you know the Kennedy Democrats of the East Coast are just yeah a lot different. Arizona is a battleground state now. I'm I'm, I'm happy for us. Sorry, um, excuse me. I said red state. It is still pretty red. I mean, yeah, I. I've had to stop myself from punching some old people, but, you know, I'm just, I will never bite my tongue, so. You never should, yeah. Well, this has been our first podcast. Holy shit! First edition of the Spooky Succubus cast. I'm Abby. I'm Rebecca. We are so happy to the five people that have taken an hour out of their day to listen to this. We're having so much fun. We love you. you. We love horror movies. We will talk to you next time for right? House of the Devil 2009. <gasps> okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.